For tonight's meditation, we have our elder brother, Doug Savin, from Toronto. Brother Doug will be assisted this evening by Brother Eckhart Densinger, also from Toronto. Shall we bow our hearts and heads in prayer? Heavenly Father, make us children. Make us children in innocence, in purity, in gentleness, in meekness, in sincerity and love. May thou speak to us this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> We've heard earlier this week from many, many scriptures that are fundamental to revival to restoration, to recovery. The book of Revelation in the second chapter says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them that say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Usually when somebody, whether it's a person or a church or a nation, gets themselves into a depression, a sorry state, it doesn't ex usually happen all of a sudden. You can sort of get the analogy of a flat tire. I'm sure most of you, if you've had a flat tire, have not had one because it exploded. Maybe some truckers do because of the great loads they carry, but most of us have experienced flat tires because of a very slow leak. And we don't even know it. But when we do find ourselves in a state of turmoil, confusion, depression, discontent, perhaps our family is in disarray, perhaps our church is in disarray, we look for the root of the problem. 
Where did we go wrong? What happened? And I would say that most of the time, the root of the problem is, is because we forgot the basics. When all else fails, we often hear the cliche, read the instructions. I'd like to do that this evening. There are two very basic scriptures that we should all know almost by heart. The first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that wonderful chapter of love. And the other one is those beautiful attitudes in Matthew chapter 5. For the basic text this evening, I'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 5. The context of this chapter is this is the beginning of a new era. All of history, as was outlined in the prophecies of Daniel and other prophets, has sort of come to pass. The four kingdoms that Daniel prophesied of in Daniel, in, in, in Daniel chapter 2 is now sort of culminating in the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire now has Israel occupied. For 400 years, they had not heard the voice of a prophet. They were living in the dark, so to speak. They had left their idolatry because they had learned their lessons in Babylon. But they had no one to speak for them. And then as the curtain dropped in the Old Testament, and as that voice of Elijah could be heard, that he would turn again the fathers unto their sons and the sons unto their fathers, out of the darkness came a voice. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, as crude as he may have appeared, and as rustic as he sounded, the voice came from the wilderness, repent ye. And in essence, that's the beginning of all revival, a repentance. We read in Revelation chapter 2, another way, another term for retrogression was falling. He said, remember from whence thou art fallen, that state where you were when you were in your first love, and remember the way to get back to that first state is by repentance and going back to the first works. So these people were hungering and thirsting. These people were looking for direction. And they were getting all kinds of advice from four different types of followers of God. The Sadducees, the priests, who were in charge of the sacrificial system and the rites and the ceremonies. The Pharisees, who were the interpreters of the law, the separated ones, literally. The ones that knew the law and the scribes to assist them. The Essenes, the very severe 
group of people that separated themselves from civilization and went into the wilderness of where the Qumran can be witnessed today. The zealots, the activists that felt that the kingdom of God should be re re restored by activism. The Sadducees were going with the crowd. The activists were opposing the crowd. The Essenes were moving away from the crowd. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus speaks and addresses these people, these multitudes, although it says here in the first verse, and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus is speaking to the masses. He has his disciples right alongside of him, but the masses have gathered as they followed him through, it says in the previous chapters, from Decapolis and Jerusalem and Galilee and Judea. And he's not speaking to those that don't know God. He's speaking to masses that had known of God, that were taught from the law. But yet they are sinners. They were sinners also. And so the scripture speaks to us tonight, to both saint and sinner alike. And I don't want to hear again from anyone, please, do not say that the gospel is for the unconverted. It is not just for the unconverted. Perhaps that's our first mistake. That we think we've graduated from the gospel. And we put it away because they're just the ABCs. And the, the apostle that writes in the Hebrews encourages us to move on. But he doesn't say discard the basics. The basics are the foundation 
building blocks of our faith and walk in Christ. When you build a house and you lay a foundation after the roof is put and after all the finishings and trimmings are done, you don't remove the foundation. And that is why, beloved, I really firmly believe that we are at times and perhaps for a great duration of time in great disrepair in our own lives because we have removed the basics from our lives. We have become complacent. We think that we are above the word of God. And I want you to read Psalm 138 from which this verse comes from. Thou wilt revive me. In verse 3 it says, Thou, O Lord, hast magnified thy word above thy name. And we would like to think at times we are above the word. We know better. We can leave behind the basics. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Have you ever considered what that means? To be poor in spirit? My father is rich in houses and lands, we sing. Lots of houses, lots of lands, lots of property, lots of real estate, lots of facilities. That man is filthy rich. He's got so much money. But when someone is abjectly poor, he has nothing. And blessed are the poor in spirit means you have nothing spiritually. You have nothing spiritually to offer God. You have nothing that you can come to the throne of God and say, God, I have something for you. I want to contribute to your kingdom. I have my righteousness. I can make this world a better place. Look here, I'll show you what I've got. I'll show you how many deeds I've done for you. How many good works I've done for you. That's what the Pharisees were doing. If anyone had works, they had the works. They would make up works in order to get more points. They had 100 and 200 so laws for the Sabbath day alone. And if it was a matter of works, they would have beat his hands down. Ephesus had a lot of works. But their primary downfall was they had left their first love. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that say, I am nothing, I can do nothing. I'm undone. And when I think of someone that is poor in spirit, I think of Isaiah. In his sixth chapter of the book that he wrote, he said, Woe is me, for I am undone. 
I see how vile I am. I have nothing to bring to you. I'm in your throne room, O oh God, and I have nothing to offer you but my filth. That is the beginning of revival, to know you have nothing to contribute. The natural outflow of that and what should be in our lives, beloved, the natural outflow is that when we realize we have nothing and we are nothing and we are abjectly poor, we're beggars. Beggars have no other choice but to beg. They have nothing to offer. They must beg. They have nothing for themselves. They must beg. The natural outflow of that is that we mourn. Woe is me! The Apostle Paul realized that when he came head on with Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus. And when he thought that he was something, when he thought that he was rich with works, when he thought he was rich with deeds, when he thought he, had, he was rich with knowledge, Jesus Christ met him on the way to Damascus. And Jesus taught him a lesson that he never forgot. As he wrote, I believe, of his conversion experience in the seventh chapter of Romans. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. He cries out in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I have nothing to offer. I am naked. You have uncovered me. My dear friend outside of Christ, if you do not realize that you have nothing, you cannot proceed. Because you don't know how to mourn if you think you have it. There's nothing to be sorry about. There's nothing to be sad about. There's nothing to groan about. You, you have it. The mourning here, specifically, I believe, speaks not the mourning of a lost relative, not the mourning of, a, of some financial disaster. It speaks of a mourning over your depravity. Like the Apostle Paul groaned and moaned that he was a wretched man in the eyes of God. As Isaiah moaned, woe is me. There's another kind of sorrow. There's another kind of mourning. It's a mourning of when you get caught. You're sorry you got caught. Don't our children do that? Didn't we do that when we were teens, when we try to do something behind mom and dad's back and then they get caught and they're sorry. Some are truly, genuinely sorry. Some are sorry 
that they got caught. And given another occasion, they're going to do it again. There's a third type of sorrow. And the Apostle Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 7. And he said, not the sorrow of this world. For the sorrow of this world brings forth death. Where people lament so much and they have a choice to make. When they've come to a point in life where that is so low, they have a choice to make. They could either get up like the prodigal son did, repent, make right, or choose to go all the way. And many end up taking their lives. They will do anything but acknowledge to Jesus that I am poor in spirit. The promise comes that theirs is the kingdom of heaven for the poor in spirit. For those that are mourning, the promise comes, for they shall be comforted. Have you ever thought about that? How are we to be comforted when we are mourning? Will mom and dad come to us? Will our brother and sister come to us and put their hand around our shoulder? Jesus was very clear. In the book of John, chapter 14, he says, And if I go not, I cannot send the Comforter. But if I go, I will send you the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, that paraclete, the one that will walk with us, the one that was with them but shall then be in them, the Comforter. The one that is gentle. The one that can encourage us on the way. The one that can say, peace, be still. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Have you been meek lately? The Bible tells us of many men that were meek, or should I say few. Moses, the meekest man on the earth. The one that said, who am I that you should send me to Pharaoh? I can't even talk. I'm slow of speech. In opposition to Pharaoh said, who is the Lord God that I should obey him? Jesus, who said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Come unto me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Have you ever wondered how paradoxical these Beatitudes may appear? When you look at the world and you see how the world sees virtue, how the world sees men of valor and, and, and renown, men that are strong, men that can stand up for themselves, men that are the greatest, men that are powerful, men that will not take any guff from anyone. 
Men that can stand up for their rights. Women that can assert their womanhood. And here we see poor, mourning, meekness, suffering for righteousness' sake. Ask yourselves the question, when did you find the most peace in your life? When did you find life the most content? When did you find that you could get along with people the best? Especially people in the church. Was it when you were in a position of power? Was it when you were feeling your oats? so to speak? Was it when you did something important and you could show to others, look how important I am? Or was it when you felt unworthy? When you felt weak? When you felt that you couldn't compete? You see, the tire is leaking here. If at the time I feel strong, I really feel strong that I can tell my brother this or I can refuse my brother that or I will not put up with this. The tire is leaking. Meekness a virtue that is perhaps very hard to describe. But it has an element of humility, doesn't it? Meek and lowly, we see that. Jesus Christ coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, meek and lowly. It has an element of humility. But we see Jesus overturning the tables in the temple. We see Moses angry with the people. Asking God, deliver me. Take my life. Meekness. And I love the expression. The term as was taught to me. Is knowing your proper place. Knowing where you fit in. In God's kingdom. Knowing where you fit in the family. Knowing where you fit in the church. Where you properly belong. The term was used by the Greeks to train as a term for when they trained animals, to tame them. So once you had got a wild horse or whatever it was, and you trained it, and you beat it, and you chastened it, that, that animal became tame, quiet, teachable, submissive. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Those that are quiet, gentle, teachable, submissive. Many times, we are tempted to assert our rights. 
many times. We feel injustice, just talking around the dinner table. We feel the injustice of what is going on around us in the world. The absolute decadence of society. When you can get a million gays parading down Toronto, just completely oblivious to God's word, to those that find it abominable. And one day, those that preach that from the pulpit may be arrested and taken off to prison. And you feel angry. And you feel you've got to do something. You've got to be a zealot. You've got to go against the authority. Injustices. I've heard some mutterings around me. What they, would, what they should do to these people. Perhaps they take the law into their own hands and do something about it. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. He says, vengeance is mine. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And so we have to leave our power under submission and control of the Holy Spirit. Oh, there are other things we can do. We can teach others. We can do it in a way that people can see Christ in us. Conversation came up about the Word of God. Is the Word of God the absolute by which we were to go by in this world as Christians? Or is it something else? Should we filter it through how we understand society? How we understand human, perhaps, psyche? Or the times we live in? I remember once reading a book, and I believe it's on the table downstairs near the cafeteria called The Secret of, our, of Their Strength. And the Anabaptist vision was that they would filter the word through Jesus Christ because he was the word. And when Jesus says, love thine enemy, which is further on in this chapter, bless them that curse you, Pray for them that despitefully use you. They would take it at its, at its value that Jesus Christ was the man who said this. And Jesus Christ acted according to what his words were. When the crowds came to arrest him, to take him to, to Calvary, and Peter drew out the sword and he cut off Malchus's right ear, Jesus says, put away that sword, for they that take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Don't you know I could have called 12 legions of angels? Don't you know that God could have delivered me? But Jesus chose to leave his power under the control of the Holy Spirit. Meekness, power under control. Not asserting my rights. Not reacting to injustices. How is 
the world going to see Christ through that? When we react and we take the sword of retribution. But beloved, it doesn't just stay, it doesn't just happen outside the church. When we feel that we've been wronged by a brother or sister. When we feel that there's been injustice done in the church. When we feel that we can't forgive somebody because it was just too much. I know what I'll do. I'll do something in return. I'll retaliate. Oh, I'll make sure people don't see me because that won't look right. I'll pick up the phone. I'll tell somebody else how bad this person is. I'll get my justice. Closely tied to that, I'm going to skip one beatitude for the sake of the connection that is here. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What does that mean? You think it means that the scenario of the Good Samaritan? Maybe. But I believe that Jesus Christ is painting a picture here of one that is coming to Jesus Christ who is empty, who has nothing of himself, who sees his depravity, who mourns over his sin, and then wants in, in, in gentle submission to say, I'll do what you ever, whatever you want me to do, Lord. I'll do it. I'll be like a tame sheep, a tame lamb in your sight. And I know you forgive me. I know you'll forgive me. And then Jesus says, if you know I'm going to forgive you, I want you to forgive others as well. I want you to forgive others as well. I'm going to ask you a question tonight. Every one of you. I don't believe it's me asking this question. It's God through this word that's asking this question. Do you at this present time. Do you harbor in your heart. An unforgiving spirit. Is there somebody that you cannot forgive this night? <clears throat> Chapter 6 of Matthew says, And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those that trespass against us. For if you forgive not one another their trespasses, neither will God forgive you your trespass. Do you know how serious that is? Do you know how serious that is? 
Jesus told the very Jews, perhaps that were listening to this sermon, you will seek me and you will not find me and you will die in your sins. Because you do not believe me. Jesus says, if you don't forgive one another your trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. I'm pleading to you tonight, beloved, because I want to, with God's grace, to rescue you from an unforgiving eternity. Now, do you hold your position above God's word? Or do you hold God's word above his name? Matthew chapter 18. The parable of the man that owed 10,000 talents to somebody. And he refused to pay. He couldn't pay. And when he was going to be threatened with incarceration and punishment, he said, please give me a chance and I'll pay thee all. And so he did. But not long after that, somebody else came across his path, the one who couldn't pay, and he grabbed him by the scruff of the neck who owed him a hundred pennies. He says, pay me that which you owe me. And he pleaded with him, he says, please, give me a chance and I'll pay everything. He says, no, you won't enter the prison with you. And you know the story, how when the first Lord, when he heard of this, he said, oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due to him. So likewise shall my father do also if ye from your hearts do not forgive your brother his trespasses. What could have Jesus been talking about? What were the 10,000 talents, the unpayable debt? You know it, brother. You know it, sister. It is Jesus Christ dying on the cross for you and me. It's Jesus dying on the cross for you and me. And we who have been forgiven had a far smaller debt to be paid back to us. And we couldn't do it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Perhaps one of the most endearing scriptures to me is contained in the book of Ephesians. And it was mentioned already this week. It says... Let no com corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you all with malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. If one word was impressed upon my heart this camp, it is that word tender. Tender, soft, supple. Something that is crushed when it sees injustice done. Not something that stands up and rebels and retaliates. Something that is soft. Tender-hearted. Do you know now why, perhaps, your life is going downhill for those that are? Or has been at one time? You really think that by holding a grudge against somebody, that you're going to feel better because of it? Oh, no, you're not. When you hold a grudge against somebody and you cannot forgive... You have willingly gone to that person and you've placed handcuffs on him or her and you're dragging that person everywhere you go. Come with me. I've still got to talk about to you. I've still got something that I want to tell you. I still have something. And you take it everywhere you go. And you become encumbered by this person and you begin thinking more and more. And you start conjuring up more thoughts and you start filling in the, the, the gaps and, and between the lines. And you, your, your, your resentment grows. And it just doesn't stop there. It goes to the one that's on the other end of the phone. It goes to somebody else. And guess what's happened now? This root of bitterness is spreading. And this root now is defiling many, the scripture says. What are you doing for the kingdom? What are you doing for yourself? What are you doing for your children? Do you know how many families have been thrown into disarray because parents cannot keep the basics of Matthew 5? They burden their children. And their children become bitter. And their children become resentful. And their children start bashing. Apostle Paul says, this has got to stop. Blessed are the pure in heart. The emphasis, I do not believe, in this verse is on pure. The word sort of stands up by itself. I believe the emphasis here is on heart. Because the commentary follows, if you read the rest of Matthew 5, 
Jesus says, you've heard that it was said of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. You've heard it said of old time, thou shalt not kill. You've heard it said of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, and so forth. But I say unto you, because the Jews were very good at keeping the external law. The Jews were very good at appearing pure on the outside. The Jews were very good at keeping the letter of the law. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 says, The letter killeth, but the Spirit quickeneth, makes alive, revives. So if you're a Christian that just goes through, through the formality of Christianity, this verse is speaking to you and to me if I'm like that. Blessed are the pure in heart. When something is pure, it is not mixed with anything else. It is not alloyed with other impurities. It is single. It is focused. And I love the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when the Apostle Paul addresses the church there and he says, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste, virgin to Christ, a pure, chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds have been corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. I looked up that word, simplicity, because it seems to go along with these simple parables or simple beatitudes. That word simplicity in another translation and in the original Greek, means single, sincere, pure devotion. I'm not double-minded. As we heard earlier this week, I don't have a Sunday and six other days of the week. I don't, I don't behave myself in front of Christians one way, in front of non-Christians another way. My focus and my devotion is solely on Jesus Christ. And that is the essence of the reprimand to the church at Ephesus. You have left your first love. Your primary love, which was also first in, in, in the chronicle sequence, if you will. You've left it. You are now not only visiting your first love, you're visiting somebody else. You're flirting with another woman. How many marriages have been broken up because of flirting? Starts very innocently, slowly. Pure devotion. Jesus said, the eye is the light of the body. 
And if it be single, the body is full of light. If your focus is single, the body is full of light. But if that light be darkness, if it's not single, if you have other things, other motives, other agendas in your mind, your body is full of darkness. And how great is that darkness? James puts it another way. He says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. How often do we spend in the word? How much do we yearn to be at places where God's word is preached? How often do we get on our knees and seek after God, yearning to be filled with him? You see, now we're in double jeopardy. If we don't do these things, if we don't pray, if we don't read, if we don't seek his face, we don't know what he wants of us. We forget. Re Revelation 2 says, remember. How can the Holy Spirit remind us of everything that Jesus spoke to us if we do not read his word? Do you have a longing to be with Christ? Do you have a longing to be with God's people? Do you have a longing to be in the midst, in the presence, as the word is spoken to us at church? In Bible class? Do you hunger for this? Or do you, would you rather read a good book? Or flick that TV on? That just pollutes the mind. Or distracts us. And then the Bible says here, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He didn't say, blessed are the peace breakers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. What are you doing in your vicinity, whether it be home or church, to make peace? Do you say, oh, that's their problem. Let them figure it out. Or do you try to be your brother's keeper? Do you practice what Jesus speaks to us in chapter 18 of accountability with my brother and my sister? You see, that's the problem with, with when we are in adulterums, when we have elevated ourselves. Pride is an aphrodisiac. It just makes us fall in love with ourselves. We don't see anything else. We are oblivious to other people's needs. We're oblivious to other people's concerns. All that matters is me, and I can't see anything else. 
And it's a dangerous place to be when you cannot see that you are sick. And you can praise God and thank God that he has structured the church as such, the members of the body of Christ, that we can become accountable to each other. And yet when we have that in place, we reject it. We don't want to be bothered. You're judging me. I don't want criticism. Second Corinthians 13 tells us, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. And if we can't examine ourselves, then please allow our brother and sister to come to us and say, Doug, you're going the wrong way. I fear for you if you continue on the path you've taken. Get back to the basics. Jesus almost guarantees that if you maintain these beatitudes, these beautiful attitudes of life, that you're going to become persecuted. That people aren't going to like you. That people are going to resent the fact that you have Christ living in you. And Jesus said, Woe unto you, and all men shall speak well of you. Woe unto you, and men shall speak well of you. He says here that if you have these things, you're going to be persecuted. People are going to resent that you are loyal to Jesus Christ. See, they're not after you, they're after Christ. The Apostle Paul says, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. They're after Jesus. Satan is after Jesus. He hasn't forgotten what Jesus did on the cross. He hasn't forgotten the power that Jesus now has in the lives of believers. And what a sad state. What a sad state. If everything that we do and say to this world is accepted. I want to read one more beatitude, if I can. It's written in the book of Romans. There are others. But I feel that this is a very important issue in our circles, and as it always has been in the church of, of God. One of the biggest problems that faces our church today and has for the last decade three, four, five, six decades, perhaps since the church began, as we see here in Romans. It's the issue of Christian liberties. That even though things may not be morally bad, even though things may not be unlawful, the scripture says, if you want to maintain peace, 
then this is something that you need to practice. In the book of Romans, chapter 14, you want to know how you can become a peacemaker? You want to know how you can practice the virtue or the attitude of, of uh, meekness, of humility? says, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, thou walkest thou not charitably. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. You're doing good things. But sometimes lawful things can be unlawful because it's causing division and unrest in the house of God. For the kingdom of God, this is what it is, the kingdom of God, what Jesus was preaching on the Mount of all, or, or the Sermon on the Mount, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith we, we may edify one another. For meat destroy not the work of God. You see, God has called us into his kingdom, subjects of the king, to work in the kingdom of God. And for something that is neutral, which he calls meat, which is not moral or, am or, 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 or amoral, it's neutral. He says, for these things do not destroy the work of God. Do not hinder your work in the kingdom for meat. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil. This is when your lawfulness becomes unlawful, for it is evil. For that man who eateth with offense, it is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth. And people stop there. Well, my brother hasn't stumbled yet. This is not going to cause him to stumble. Stumble means to, to, to fall into a snare. No. He says, where thy brother stumbleth or is offended. Sorry, that one means snared. Or is made weak. Things that we do in public that causes my brother to be made weak. Now, some of you don't want to hear that just as much as many people in, in Christ's time did not want to hear the Sermon on the Mount. But if you wonder why the church is weak, we often skip 1 Corinthians 8, we often skip Romans 14 and 15, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 10, and we jump over it and we say, well, what happened? Why, why are we in the state that we are today? And some of you may be thinking, oh, Doug, you're speaking from the conservative element point of view. I didn't say anything. Others are saying, oh, you're supporting those that love liberties. I didn't say that. I'm asking you, beloved brothers and sisters, I'm asking you, do you want to be a peacemaker? Do you want to further the work in the kingdom of God? 
Or do you want to stand up for your rights? On either side of the fence. This is, an adult ser- this is an adult service. I hope I can speak to every one of you as adults. And I hope as the song we heard before the service, we can become as children as far as innocency is concerned, as far as willingness to forgive is concerned, as far as sincerity is concerned, as far as being tender-hearted is concerned. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even, listen, this is not because of me and because of you. This is for even Christ please not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell of me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant to you that you be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ. Basics. May the Lord, may the Lord impress upon our hearts to go back to the basics. And see, you measure for yourself whether or not your life will become revived. And whether your church will become a more joyous church, willing to do the work of God. May the Lord bless you.